Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The Port Hope Police recently released its two-year strategic plan. While the title sounds pretty lofty, there are a lot of nuts and bolts things contained in it. In this interview, Chief Tim Farkason will address critical issues facing the community. He will discuss the hiring of three new officers, the expansion of the auxiliary force in the hopes of increasing police presence. But that is not all. He will tackle the local opioid crisis, homelessness, mental health, and public engagement. The question is, will all this help residents feel safe and secure? I'm so pleased to welcome back Port Hope Police Chief Tim Farkason to consider this Northumberland. Good to see you again, Chief. Great to see you, Robert. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to talk to you today about the strategic plan. What in the strategic plan is new? Not something that Port Hope residents would expect from the police force. I, I believe it's going to be the level of engagement that we're encouraging. We're going to, and we're invoking goals and objectives. Uh, that are in line with the strategic plan and the board's goals and objectives. We're going to have our service. It's about visibility, about timely response to calls, about beat patrol. What you'll see right now in the last few months is uh, our officers, when they have time, in uniform, the frontline patroller at all the schools, starting off their shift at the schools, enforcing community safety zones, speaking to students, speaking to parents. Uh, I think that part of the visibility is fantastic. We're getting a lot of positive feedback, and that's that's how they'll start their their shift. Obviously, calls for service come in, but that's that's uh, one of the changes. We're expanding our auxiliary unit, doubling up our auxiliary unit, and as you know, that's a force multiplier. Those volunteers help us so much in the community. For instance, the SEPTED program, crime prevention through environmental design. They'll sit down with residents, uh, community agencies, just talking about. Uh, how they can increase security and safety. They're, they're going to be trained in that. Infant restraint. If you look at over 80% of people put their infant car seats, child car seats in the wrong way. We're going to be establishing those programs again. Um, those are just a couple of the examples of what we're looking for. In the introductions into the strategic plan, you talk about consulting with stakeholders. Can you share with us some of the results of the surveys and the focus groups that you did? Sure. And those are for, through the board. I attended um, and gave my greetings for each of those uh, events in the community and at the police service in the boardroom with our community stakeholders. Um, the, the way that was set up was to get that feedback. If you couldn't do it in person, that they did give out the uh, surveys that people could fill out. We were really happy with the feedback from the public. And really, what are they asking for? They're asking for those things that we talked about. They want to see officers on the beats. Uh, they want people to respond to their calls in Port Hope. They're used to that. We've had that ability. 
Um, obviously, as you get bigger and it gets busier, you have to look at online reporting. Uh, but here in Port Hope, they love that quality of service. Officers coming and coming in a timely way. They love to see the, the police cruisers out and visible, knowing that that perception of safety as well, um, that the, the officers are out there. So we try to invest in technology. The board is supporting that piece. Technology in the cars. Now all our calls go through the computers and the police cruisers. Having that computer in the police car keeps officers out and visible. Now, I know there was probably lots and lots of types of feedback and all of that gets prioritized. Was there anything that people asked for that was not included? I believe that we put everything in that people had asked for. Now, saying that, some of those are going to bring costs, right? There's So we have to, uh, over the next three years, judge if we can do it, if it's possible. We're trying to put those things in the budget. But I, I, I believe that we've addressed those if you look through the strategic plan, we've addressed everything that we had um, that was meaningful. And, and obviously there's certain things that are impossible to achieve and certain things that aren't our role, like homelessness, uh, mental health, uh, open air injection of, of drugs. A lot of that's gonna involve our community partners as well, uh, right? The police can't do everything, but I think what they wanna see us is engaging with our community partners engaging us with the other police services in the area, make sure that we're as efficient, effective and economical as we can, that we're sharing equipment where we can, best practices, and, and we're doing that with the OPP, Peterborough Police Service, Coburg and Durham. Um, and we're trying to organically find ways to find savings and better ways of doing business and policing. When you look through the strategic plan, there's nothing that indicates levels of staffing. And I know Coburg this year, did go before council and the, and the police service board asking for more officers. Do you need more officers in Port Hope? Is that part of the plan? So the board has addressed that with uh, the, the ability to hire three new frontline officers. We don't we we don't need anything in our at our administrative level. I mean, there'd be nice to haves, but the most important is the frontline staffing. And as a, to those points that I had said earlier, that's what the community wants to see. Officer safety is is huge. The board is addressing that and at the minimum staffing with the associations and the board, um, we're addressing that in Port Hope. The good thing, um, we have three people who have just come back from occupational stress injuries who are on WSIB. Uh, one fully transitioned back onto the road, two that are at the police service now working, hopefully transitioning. And we have a fourth who we were just talking to uh, two days ago, uh, looking at starting back at the police service. So that's overnight, that's probably 90% of our people that are on WSIB coming back to work. Uh, and we've, that's another big piece of the strategic plan that we can talk about at some point. I do want to talk about that as well. But before we leave this topic, um, in talking to the Coburg police chief, he, he said he would have liked a lot more officers. They had asked for six, he got four. You're getting three. What would be ideal in terms of numbers that you'd like to see? So what we're trying to get to is a model where we have three officers on the road, minimum staffing model. And that's where we want to be for officer safety and for community safety. Um, we do have that relationship with uh, Coburg, uh, same radio system that we're on. And we back each other up in that way in a timely manner, uh, which helps. And our relationship with the OPP as well. All three police services work so closely together. That helps us a lot. But where the board has us right now, the support the board has given us, is where we need to be. Again, the board isn't responsible for optimal policing because if, if you let the chiefs decide on what's optimal, 
Um, it would be incredible, but that's we the tax. There has to be a balance. There is a fiduciary responsibility on the board, uh, a fiscal responsibility that we all have to be aware of. The board did their due diligence, and we are in a position for 2024 uh, by that we will be safe and we'll be able to keep the community safe. You have a clear mandated responsibility to the community, which is stated in the in the uh, plan. You also speak to the goal of having operational efficiency. To achieve this, you say you must use innovative strategies. Could you give us an example of an innovative strategy that you will implement in 2024 that will meet the goals of operational efficiency? I, I think the, the, you look at uh, your MHART team. That's the relationship with our mental health nurse and our frontline community services officer. Right now, it's Constable Tammy Staples. Uh, where we're going with that is to have more hours, more proactive work uh, around our mental health issues. Getting out there, uh, right now, it's three days a week, and it's just not enough for our police service. Where we're looking at in discussions is to have that uh, more on a full-time basis and the ability to do proactive work, those supports that need to be done with our persons with mental health, and or addiction issues. Um, that's that's one place that we're going. E-ticketing is another efficiency. Uh, that is just started now in Port Hope. We have the e-ticketing ability for officers, which is, it keeps officers at the roadside for less time, which is an officer safety issue. It's more efficient and economical. That pay, the electronic ticket will go right down to provincial offenses court from the officer at the side. And he's able to print that out by scanning uh, license and just that's one of the efficiencies um, that we're working on as well. Uh, still working with the situation table, that's huge on those complex issues that our officers are facing. Um, having training with one of the things you'll see in the board uh, where we're going is cornerstone on our domestic violence to assist us with domestic violence and rebound youth services. Um, those uh, entities, those organizations, great community organizations are coming and helping train our officers. Uh, so there's all those pieces. All our auxiliary would be trained in SEPTED. There's efficiencies there. The crime prevention through environmental design. We'll have six uh, auxiliary officers in the community, um, helping the community, which which benefits all of us. I'd just like to go back to the MHART. You said you're looking at the M increasing the MHART program. Is that not part of the budget? Is that is that not a sure thing? Or uh, it sounded like you were looking at it, but when was it going to get implemented? When are you going to increase it from the three days? It's probably one of the hardest things for uh, the province. I came from Peterborough. We always wanted five full-time teams. Uh, the highest we could get was three. It's funding, and that's the biggest problem, finding the grants, finding the funding, finding sustainable grants that will keep that program going. Because if you look at the challenges, the high-risk um, incidents that police are involved in in this country and North America, um, around the mental health, whether it's a, a what they call a suicide by a cop, uh, whether it's a person in emotional crisis, uh, barricaded persons, those calls have increased with frequency over the years, yet the commensurate supports haven't. And we know this is an amazing model, a mental health nurse or appropriate social worker and a police officer. It's a fantastic team. It's proven. We have to find the funding and that's what we're working on this year. But why is it just a provincial funding model? Like, why couldn't the municipality or the police services board step up and say, look, we're going to spend the dollars so that we can ensure that this is such a crucial uh, 
service that you're talking about is in our community at the level it needs to be. Robert, that's a great point. And we might have to, if we can't find those, that funding model where we think we should be looking, you're right. We have to look at other ways to do business. I'm not saying we do this, but do you give up one frontline position to get a mental health nurse because of the force multiplier that the mental health nurse is? And those are kind of the discussions that we're going to have to have um, this year if there's no other way to get that funding. So it, it is a good point. We do have to, to look and be open and objective. Recently, the city of Belleville announced a state of emergency as it faced 23 overdoses in two days. I think there was like 17 in a 24-hour period. One of your stated goals is to enhance responses to addictions and mental health in the community. Can you tell us how you plan to ensure that Port Hope doesn't have to declare a similar crisis? So on the policing end, the enforcement role is trafficking, importation, cultivation. Trafficking even at the at the street level. <clears throat> That's what we are responsible for. We need the time. We have to work with our partners around the public consumption, the addiction issues, the mental health issues, the concurrent disorders, the homelessness, poverty, social determinants of health that are affected. That's our partners, and, and we'll have to have those partnerships. We have to look at um, another form of outreach. A, a lot of this is about feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. If you look at our most vulnerable population, we need to find ways to get out there and help people feel supported, help people navigate the system to get, to reach their potential. What is out there for them in regards to treatment? We're lacking sorrowfully in detox and prevention and treatment. And we're pushing at the national level and the provincial level. And I sit on those committees at the national and provincial level of where we need to go, a change in the Mental Health Act. We're pushing for those things. And that's my passion, and we could get way caught up in this, but outreach is important, detox is important, and having residential treatment as well as the day treatment available. We're just, we're not nearly there yet. We have a lot of work to do. I appreciate that, and and I appreciate how you've uh, hived off the, the police response, but let's be honest, you guys are oftentimes the first guys out there, uh, the first responders to these situations. How do we, how do you start to move these pieces locally, locally, not necessarily at a national or provincial level? And I appreciate the efforts that you make at, at that level to, to make these changes. But locally, what do we need to do from a police perspective that is going to mean that you're, you're reaching the goals for your officers to make sure that they're they're responding in a way that's meaningful and and addressing it so that residents could feel that this is not a problem that's out of control. Right. And to your point, we're not out of control in Port Hope at this time. Uh, saying that, I'd be putting my head in the sound, sand to think that this problem is not going to get worse in Port Hope. Everywhere I've been from Peterborough, they look at Coburg. Six years ago, Coburg didn't have the problems that they're having now. They have a lot of the services in Coburg, uh, right? But it's working with our partners, our community partners. We may have, we've already reached out and looked at, uh, similar to the MHART program, having an addiction worker and a police officer um, as well to help with those, those issues. But again, we have a responsibility. Any ancillary crime that goes along with um, these issues of addiction, we're responsible for taking, to let people know that uh, we're not going to say we can't do that. If somebody's creeping into backyard, stealing property, um, entering a garage, a car, anything, that's police, that's, that's the criminal part that goes along with it. 
At the same time, the compassionate approach for somebody who simply has a mental health issue, simply uh, an addiction, and they're not simple issues, but I'm saying that alone is where we need our partners to work. And the police can show a compassionate um, approach to that. Forgive me if I implied that there was a crisis in, in Port Hope. I, I, too, share your vision that it hasn't arrived yet, but certainly we can see both in Belleville and in Coburg, as you pointed out, these are growing problems and they are certainly, uh, you know, they're shadows that are are off in the distance. I, I, I Robert, just you, point. You, remind, you remind me of something there. I mean, you look at the, the work the municipality is doing, our mayor, around a youth wellness hub. And we're hoping we get good news on that in the very near future because we need that in Northumberland. We don't have it. There isn't one in Peterborough, but our youth are our are, are future. And where we're going to need to turn around this situation that you, you're talking about, we're going to have to triage this for a while. The Belleville situation because of the toxic, poisonous drug supply. So it's going to take us a while. We can't expect this to change overnight, but even though we're try, trying to do things, we still have to work on youth resilience. And I'm talking about our public schools, JKSK, all the way up uh, to make a, a generational change. One interesting goal of the strategic plan is to educate the public as to what to do in the case of contacting the police service when it's a non-emergency call. Can you tell us how big an issue this is for the force? That That's for every, every police service, right? But the thing is, is you just said it. The police are out there 24-7. Most organizations shut down between 8.30 and 4.30 and aren't working at nights or on the weekends. So who's out there? The police. So the natural last call, when M&R can't come and take care of the the bear or the deer, uh, who's going to be called? It's going to be the police. And, and that, I'm just giving one example of the many examples that, that we get. Um, the fire department has a mandate. Our other emergency partners and paramedics have a mandate. The police have never really had a mandate. They're the call of last resort. And it they, these calls come to us. So if there's a, a better way that people can uh, make a call, there's another organization, there's telehealth, mental health, uh, lifelines, different areas, then we'll, we'll, our dispatch will try and give those people the, the help they need. The plan speaks to working with community partners such as the Greenwood Coalition, Rebound Child and Youth Services, and Cornerstone, and you've mentioned this earlier in our conversation. No doubt the police have longstanding relationships with these groups. What are you going to do that is different from the past that may further address some of the issues the community is facing? Oh, it's a good point. And it starts at the top. It starts with your leadership and works down in regards to that community piece. So I sit on the Cornerstone board. I sit on the rebound youth services. So Cornerstone Family Violence, Rebound uh, Family Youth Services. I sit on both those boards. Uh, one of the first people I reached out to, other than those two organizations, when I got, before I started, was David Sheffield and Greenwood and what we can do together. And some of our members will be speaking to David more than I speak to him. But David knows there's an open door policy here. He can talk to me at any time. I know the relationships he has. I know he's a valuable person in the community uh, to talk to. And sometimes the policing um, lens doesn't line up with those who are trying to help the marginalized in, in, in that way. It doesn't always line up, but we work together and David knows we can talk at any time. So uh, keeping those relationships, those are just three. Uh, but those were very important to me because I'd seen in the last strategic plan uh, that that's what the community wanted. They wanted engagement from their chief and the senior team and the officers. They want engagement in the community. And that's what we're trying to do. 
I was surprised to read in the report that uh, you are reestablishing protocols with Cornerstone to review case files on gender-based violence. Why did that stop? It, it just, I'm, I can't talk about uh, the past. All I can tell you is that um, it's important. It's important for, for that relationship for Cornerstone to be able to review and look for any systemic challenges that we have uh, to support where we need to be supported, but to also tell us that um, when we're making mistakes or where we can do better in those cases. Also training the frontline officers so the officers can make the appropriate referrals and know exactly what Cornerstone does. Because in three years ago, that could have changed. So that relationship piece is important. For them to be able to come into our building, review our files in a confidential manner and help us be better. If we're truly a learning organization, we should always want to be better. And we should always know we can do better. So, The plan calls for a stronger relationship with the business community through the Chamber of Commerce and the HBIA, the Downtown Business Association. Can you explain what you hope to achieve? So for the HBIA, for instance, if, if we want to look at um, the lock zone of businesses, which we did in Peterborough with the DBIA, uh, those relationships are very strong um, for why we need those types of things. Uh, when they're having problems with certain uh, businesses that are coming to them and, and telling them what they're not happy with. They won't always come and tell the police, but by having a strong relationship uh, with the chamber, and obviously the chamber represents a wider version than the, the HBIA, uh, wider area, um, those two uh, communities are really important. Anything that we can do with them to fundraise or to raise awareness, to help out, again, our auxiliary program is gonna be really important in the HBIA, uh, to speak to business owners and for them to know, hey, I can free of charge have a professional who's trained come in and help me um, with security in my business, with lighting, with alarms, all, all that type of thing. So those relationships are really important um, to show, also to show our, our downtown is vibrant. It is a beautiful downtown. It is important to tourism. It's important to the economy of Port Hope. And it's the heart and soul of Port Hope. So it is hugely important to us. Equity, diversity, and inclusion are also part of this plan. How would you describe the relationship with the police force and minority groups within the community? We can always do better. And I wanna know how we can do better. Uh, we were at the Rainbow Crosswalk uh, opening with John Dorian and his group, and, and we spoke there about uh, the relationships. Uh, we, Tammy will be at Black History Month. I am out of the province next week and would have loved to have been there. I always did that in the past in Peterborough, uh, but Tammy will be representing the police service, Tammy Staples, which is great because um, she's an incredible person. Um, anything that we can do to build those relationships, uh, we're going to do that. And that goes right to our hiring process and looking for racialized persons, diversity in our workforce, uh, trying to find better ways. Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police has a course we're sending people on, on EDI, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion. And we're hoping that we will come back with more information on how we can do better as a, as a police service. So we're open to any ideas. I'd like to come back now to something we talked about earlier, uh, which is the mental and wellness aspects of the police. I know this is a big issue for forces across the country because they face a loss of staff due to stress leave. Now, the strategic plan speaks to this. Can you describe the current situations? You gave us a bit of a high, a high level uh, picture earlier, but can you get down into the weeds and explain what exactly is going on with this and how you're addressing it 
both through your upcoming year and going forward through the plan? All right. So we just signed an agreement with Wounded Warriors. And I'll, I'll take you through this. Wounded Wounded Warriors, everyone knows in Canada, the great work they do, the amount of supports that are free uh, that they have. Um, we're going to be starting with an introduction to PTSD course for our members that will be online. And from there, family members, they have, if, if we have people with occupational stress injuries, there's kids camps, there's spousal um, treatment for people with occupational stress injuries. There's so many supports for wounded warriors. We've just signed that agreement as in the last month. Um, there'll be an official unveiling very shortly. Our second piece is the uh, life support mental health check team. So what we're doing here is we're going to have mandatory mental health screening checks each year with this with this group. It's clinically, they have clinicians, approved clinicians. Um, that'll be a, uh, a sit down with each member and it'll be virtual with a psych, psychologist or psychiatrist just to check on their well-being. It won't just be for specialized units. The third thing that we're doing is working on a relationship with Fleming College and with a, a neuropsychologist who will be assisting us with a sit down in person with every member of the police service. And again, this isn't just for our frontline or our specialty units. This is gonna be for every member, including auxiliary members and our civilians who, who could live vicariously our civilian staff um, through the trauma that, that officers face day in and day out on the road. So we are taking it over and above in regards to the mental health, having these, we'll have two yearly mandatory checks uh, for each member, plus all these other supports, as well as the EAP and the EFAP uh, that was already in place before. Now, you mentioned earlier about some officers coming back and some officers transitioning. How many officers in total are off right at the moment out of the total complement? Uh, so there, there were six very recently. Uh, we had one came back, which is five. We had two more come back this week, which are solely on a return to work program. And we just had, had a meeting with one of the officers who, after they've spoken to their occupational therapist and find out the restrictions, will be coming back. So that'll leave us from, with two still off on occupational stress injuries out of six, um, which for us is remarkable to have uh, four people coming back to the workplace. It's, it's fantastic. Council passed the police budget of $6.7 million. That's an 11% increase. How does the budget reflect the goals and aspirations of the strategic plan in your mind? Uh, everything that we've discussed takes people. Our programs, and whether it's in the schools, whether it's the MHART team, whether it's working with an auxiliary, because auxiliary can't work alone, they have to work with an officer. Um, the Highway Traffic Act enforcement that uh, we're hoping to do to keep our streets and community safety zones um, uh, safe. Um, having a the management team that we need because ever, there has to be a supervisor on the road to meet all the adequacy and effectiveness regulations under 399 that we have now um, we need those supports and to finish off the and get through the strategic plan which we're going to be reviewing quarterly with the board because they're going to want to know on a template what have we done and what are we doing to get these goals and objectives um, see them through so that's basically to do that, we needed that increase. And I'll give you another example. You know that we had a cyber attack here. That was huge. That, that put us back uh, for months. It was a real setback to us. And to be honest, it was over $700,000. Um, that's expensive. 
So we had to increase our IT. We did not, we were not safe in, in the cyber world. <clears throat> uh, so that piece is being addressed um, in the budget. Uh, the officer safety and community safety to get the shifts at a safe, um, basically at a safe level to keep the community safe and the officer safe, we needed those hiring of the three officers. Now saying that as you have officers coming back, that can adjust. So the officers that we're hiring this year, that might be put back, that might be put off. Um, we'll be working with the board. We'll see how many of the officers can actually transition back to the road. As I said, we have one that's already successfully transitioned and that officer's out uh, on shift right now, uh, working today. And, and that's just great to see. And if we can keep doing that, then we obviously we would hire less. As a question to wrap up, what aspects of the strategic plan has you most excited? I would say like just, just off, the, off the top of my head, the auxiliary is a huge piece, <clears throat> increasing that doubling, that, um, that force multiplier with volunteers who are committed to this police service and seeing their level of commitment and how much they can help us. Our Amhart has me really excited to try and get that to a full-time um, FTE looking at a outreach program um, around the mental health and addictions. Uh, but I have to say what has me most excited is the mental health. And we just covered that, like to where we're going to mandatory two times a year, officers and civilian staff are gonna be sitting down with a mental health professional following up. It's not gonna cost them anything out of their, uh, out of their pocket. And we will be doing that because there's a huge stigma still in policing to get help. This is gonna, by, Making it mandatory, this is going to help, I believe, is probably the most exciting um, thing that's going to be going to be happening. Because how do we, as if a litmus test for a caring and compassionate senior administration is how you treat and support your frontline members. And that's what I believe. So if we truly believe that, then we have to make those investments. How do we keep the community safe if officers aren't there at their potential? If an officer leaves and we work with those supports, the people that are left behind carry the workload. We don't have a model that every time somebody goes off, we just get to hire somebody. That's not how it works in policing, uh, unfortunately. So it's on the backs of the other members. Um, those and, and for people to, to be productive at work, their mental health has to be addressed as well. So for me, and I know I've talked a lot about it today, that's it's hugely important. What's next? We, we're not resting on our laurels. We got lots of work to do. Like I said, every day, I, I want to hear more from the community, LGBTQ, uh, from David Sheffield on where we need to go. The last conversation I had with David Sheffield is, is he was speaking very positively of how our frontline troops treat our marginalized. And I was, I'm so happy when I hear that. Obviously, we have to do enforcement. That's our job, but do it in a compassionate, respectful way. And our officers are doing that. I'm when you talk about the future and being happy, I love coming into work every day. I love seeing the, the commitment from the membership here and how and really how appreciative this community is of Fort Hope police officers. I hear it every day, day in and day out, how great these officers are. How do we keep that? How do we build on that? And that's my goal every day. How do we do it though with that fiscal responsibility and that balance that we have to have because taxpayers only have so many dollars and with everything going on, they're stressed. So we are going to work at being the most economical, efficient, effective police service in the province. And that's what we're going to keep doing, leading the way. Chief Tim Farkason, thank you so much for talking to me today. 
Thanks again for having me, Robert. It's always a pleasure. That was Porthole Police Chief Tim Farkason. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.